Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 67, A Song for the Soul. You know it's coming back. <laughs> oh, God, they love her. Oh, You better get your hides inside and start doing some serious explaining on why my 15-year-old daughter's out at 2 o'clock in the morning. I have taken it upon myself to call your parents and tell them what's been going on and how you children have been lying to us. We wouldn't have to lie if you come hear us, Daddy. We're really good, Reverend. I will not support my 15-year-old daughter singing in a brothel. I don't think you understand how important this is to us, Daddy. What's important is that you understand that there'll be no more of this nonsense about singing in nightclubs. It's not... Nonsense! God gave me a voice to do with whatever I want. Not as long as you under my roof. Then I'll leave! No! no, no, no. I won't let him lock me in this miserable house! And kill Mama and I won't let it kill me too! But now... What do you got? Well, all Ziggy's got so far is that the mother died five years ago, unknown causes. From the little we know, apparently she just went to her bed and then stayed there for six months until she died. So Ziggy says I'm here to help Linnell deal with her mother's death? Is that it? No, we don't know. There's no data. Well, okay. What do you know? Ziggy says she runs away day after tomorrow. What's going to happen to her? Well, she runs away and tries to become a singer. Then she gets locked into a slave contract with some guy named Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee? Wait a second. And then things go downhill after that. What do you mean downhill? Well, crummy clubs, uh, Drugs, arrests. And her father? <coughs> her father dies in 72, right after he loses his church to a fire. He and Linnell never speak to each other again. How'd you get in the house, Mr. Lee? I told you to call me Bobby. My father will get upset if he finds you here, Bobby. Oh, he'll get more than upset, honey. We're talking murder in the first degree. Well, that's because a young lady would never entertain a gentleman up in her bedroom. Well, since we all understand that, why don't you go downstairs? It's not my fault. I was just walking down the street minding my business, and I heard that sweet, sensual voice of yours riding on a cool breeze. You made me come and knock on the door. When nobody answered, I just, well, I just knocked a little harder, and it came up. Watch out for this guy, Sam. 
He slickered and spit on a patent leather shoe. Let's just say I, uh, I believe in young talent. Plus, if you girls win, you sign an exclusive deal with me, and I'll take you straight to the top. You're more like the bottom. Get this in. Robert Z. Lee, small-time businessman, part-time pimp. What? What do you say? He's the owner of Bobby's Blues Club, and he ends up doing 20 years in the big house for statutory rape. And now I've, I've lost my little girl, too. Not if you stand by her. You tell her you want her to sing tonight, that you want to be there to hear her. I can't do that. She has to finish school so she can become somebody. You got to trust her to find her own reasons to finish school. Let her make her own choices. Well, she's 15 years old. She has plenty of time to make her own choices. I, I know that, I, but right now, I'd like for her to live her mind, OK? Ziggy says there's a 70% chance that Linnell is going to go back to that club and apologize to that slime bucket. She still goes on tonight? Yeah, but she goes on alone. And get this, she doesn't win. And then she gets even more desperate. You've got to save her from this pervert, Sam. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And you are listening to our episode covering A Song for the Soul, Mach 2. Yes, Mach 2. <laughs> it's my fault. It's all, it's all messed up. No, it's Chris's fault. It's Chris's fault. <laughs> I'm going to say it's Allison's fault, but it's more fun for the podcast that it's my fault. Uh. It's Norton's fault. That's what it is. Stupid yeah. Norton security. Damn you, Norton. Well, we just lost that sponsor. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> we don't we don't want their dirty money. <laughs> Stupid Norton antivirus. So I'm gonna like explain to people what happened here. Um so we recorded this podcast already uh last week or a couple weeks ago. Two weeks, two weeks now. Two weeks ago. And uh yeah, and in the middle of recording uh, Norton Security decided to do a temporary file sweep, which deleted the first hour of this because it, it wasn't saved yet. It was still recording in Audacity. They were very horrible about it, so um, I uninstalled Norton, uh, and I recommend you do too. It's really <laughs> terrible. Now we, we're going to talk an hour about why Norton Security is the worst. <laughs> Maybe yeah. some Quantum Leap will come in here. <laughs> You know, I I will say this, my bad memory working in my favor this time. <laughs> right? Because it'll be like it's new. Somewhat spontaneous. Yeah. Respontaneous. T- two weeks has passed. I don't remember any of this. Yeah, you got con plague. You, oh, you yeah. were you were uh, in bed with a fever, uh erasing everything from your mind. I've been all about Doctor Who the last two weeks, so uh yeah, this this'll be a fresh return. We've had so much happen since, you know, we we discovered that the whole show that we taped wasn't taped. Matt has since been to L.A. and back. Yes. He went to uh, Gallifrey. I call it Gallifrey West Coast. I don't know what the hell it is. No, it's just just Gallifrey. There is no Gallifrey anywhere else, apart from the one in the constellation of Casturbarus. But, (laughs) yeah. In in terms of non-fictional ones. The con is just called Gallifrey? Yes. (laughs) What a bunch of nerds. Yeah. Well, Gallifrey won. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, biggest and best Doctor Who convention. Amazing experience. You've been doing that for for years now, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been running thirty one years now, and uh, oh my god, I've, I've gone to about half a dozen of them. Wow, so I'm, st- I'm still a comparative baby. That's that's really cool. Yeah, you're still cooler than both Allison and I. So, 
That's Thank kind of a low you. bar, though. <laughs> he's got the. You saw that picture. He had that cool jacket on. We know he's always been cool. <laughs> that was a sweet jacket, not a cool jacket. Oh, the, for, for, a a <laughs> for a sweet baby boy. For a sweet boy, not a baby. Oh, boy. Okay, sweet boy. <laughs> which which jacket? What? <laughs> that that picture you posted with that sweet brown jacket. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is great. We're just going to dick around for I, an I hour. I tried to forget about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I should I should give some context to why I said it could have been my fault that uh, we lost most of Allison's recording for the last episode. I, I don't know how or remember why, but for some reason, the dreaded B-word episode came up in some context. And of course, I said, oh, you mean? And then I said the title of the episode. And I don't care. I was always cavalier about it. And... um Matt actually stopped and said to me, if you knew how many stories I have verified of things going wrong with electronics with this episode, and guess what? (laughs) Now, in my mind, it's still a coincidence. I hold no sway with this this superstition, but eh, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm not going to say it ever again on mic. Let's uh, let's be clear here. I I, I did say that during the first recording. Uh, In my heart, I'm with you, Chris. And if anyone has read my book and read the episode uh, entry for that, you'll see I do... I do have some affectionate things to say about the, the fans that buy into that. But... It did happen to us. We did we did succumb to the curse that I don't believe exists. We didn't believe in our hubris came back to get us. <laughs> Norton antivirus was the devil all along. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, anyway, it's it's nice to be back on mic with you guys, even if we have to rehash some stuff. It won't be a rehash. Y- you know, talking about the devil uh, ties in with Song for the Soul. Because sure, yes. there's the religious aspect in the church, see? Yeah, that Al stuff. Yeah, all that, that Al stuff. stuff. Yeah, Al says some stuff about <laughs> the devil, doesn't he? We, we yeah. researched for this show a few weeks back, and it probably shows. Have, have, you, guys, have you guys watched it again since? No. 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 No, okay, good. So we're all working from notes from from January, basically. <laughs> I didn't save my notes. I deleted them before we had um <laughs> we'd uh finished the thing, but um cuz I it helps me to sort through them if I like delete the parts we already talked yeah. about. So no, I do the same. Anyway, I decided this time I was going to go loosey goosey. I only wrote a couple <laughs> things I wanted to remember. <laughs> but then, you know, I'm not going to pretend like we're talking about it for the first time. I'm just, you know, just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, so there will be genuine spontaneity here. There will be forced spontaneity here. Maybe. I don't know. Because we are going to rehash some stuff. But I think that um, I, I like the tenor of this version of this episode better already. Yes. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. <laughs> because I was thinking back on some of the things I said in the last episode. Number one, I felt like we were a little bit... I, I, I just didn't feel like we were in the groove. It was going to take a lot of editing. Nah. I feel like we're much more in the groove today <laughs> because we because we have shared tragedy to cling to. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make it through this. And I also said some really loopy bullshit about this being the J.J. Abrams episode <gasps> oh, of Quantum Leap. And- I'm pretty sure that bit got saved in the last half hour. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm not going to play it anyway. Maybe I'll play it as an extra. Maybe we'll put it on Patreon because the more I thought about it, Allison was just like, what are you talking about? I was like, 
You know what? She's right. What am I talking about? It, it sounded better in your head, right, Chris? It did sound better in my head. It sounded like so pithy in my head. I was like, yeah, I'm going to nail them with this. You're like, and, oh, man, we're get ready for your mind to be blown. And then you said it and we're like, crickets. It's right, because that obviously you, that obviously made you forget about my, my defining moment pointing out the, the comparative heights of the three girls, which I was so proud of and... and uh, <laughs> apparently apparently not apparently the leapy is quite tall anyway um yes that 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 was a that was a whole thing i i was ready to go off on and and you guys shut me down because yeah because sam hit his head and then like he is taller than the the girls but they do make quite a few comments that um that he is a a taller girl so i guess they didn't and you know the wig added some height too so yes it certainly (laughs) did the supreme wig and i guess that's a great place to start i don't want to spend (laughs) the entire hour rehashing rehashing what we once talked about uh let's just talk about it and i think the beginning is a great place to start because um i huh see now this is where it's going to get weird i had asked the question in the first podcast was this the first time we ever saw the oh boy spoken by the mirror image and Matt, you pointed out to me that I was wrong. Yes, and I, I was busy. Uh, hang on, are we going to talk about this in the past tense? Because this, this is no. Gonna, let's let's yeah. talk about. It. Okay, we are ending past tense. Yeah. Now. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> however, it was Alison that, that answered you. So I feel like I'm stealing her thunder. But it's the se- <laughs> the second leapy um, does that. It's the because because the, they keep using it in the the start of the opening credits for the first couple of seasons. Um, it's the baseball player. Yeah, and the dubbing was really bad, so they ke- and they kept using it. <laughs> as as he leans into the mirror really slowly. And they aren't in sync when he like ducks yes. his head when he sang it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Looked pretty bad. And it was so good that they put it at the end of the Sarka cell over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But it's it's the first time for a while, I think, right? Uh, probably. Yeah. I think it might be the first time since then. So um, maybe I've, but, I've had two weeks to research that, and I haven't. So I, I, you know what? I had two weeks to research and rewatch and come up with new notes that might be more spontaneous, and I haven't. But uh, yeah. so why don't we do what we always do? Why don't we go with uh, initial impressions of "Song for the Soul"? Allison, <laughs> I invite you to begin. It's a nice episode. It's uh, back in their comfort zone. Uh, it covers a lot of topics that. Um, that Quantum Leap excels at. I do like Sam's outfits a lot in it. That's pretty fun. Okay. All right. That's better than uh, Last Gunfighter. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's better than The Last Gunfighter. How about, how about you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, it's um, com- comfort zone, exactly. This is not trying to stretch anything. Um, it's not trying to push Quantum Leap into new territory. It's familiar, it's comfortable, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, it still feels feels fresh and new, but uh, yeah, they're, they're certainly not breaking any new ground here. And um, certainly, yeah, after a, a couple of the recent missteps, such as Last Gunfighter, that's that's no bad thing. Yeah, it's it's nice to retreat to safe territory. Um, trying to break new ground is laudable. And um, Last Gunfighter, I think they really wanted to but couldn't. They were at odds with themselves on that one. So they followed up with a Deborah Pratt script directed by Ma- Michael Watkins. So really, what's not to like? Mm. Like you guys said, for me, this is totally in the pocket. This is Quantum Leap, like essential, sort of quintessential yes. Quantum Leap. And it's not to say that the episode doesn't raise some questions, that there aren't things to discuss, but on the whole, when I think of Quantum Leap, it's episodes like Song for the Soul that I think of. 
I keep wanting to say song for the South. I know that's not the right. <laughs> I just, that's always the first so... thing that comes to my mind. And that is not <laughs> what this is. Are you even allowed to, are you what? even allowed to watch song for the South anymore? I don't think it's. Uh... it's is song for the South a thing? What's, what's this? Oh, it was. Enlighten the, um, me, Matt. Enlighten me. You've probably heard of it. You're just not remembering. But it was a uh, it was a Disney movie, and what was it the fifties? It's where Zippity Doodah comes from. Oh, Zippity! Yeah, yeah. They uh, they never officially released it because it was pretty racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the main character is Uncle Remus. Yeah. Oh, Sp- Splash Mountain was based on it. I was on Splash Mountain last weekend. Hey. I did not know the link, but they did sing Zippity Doodah quite a bit while I was screaming. Yeah, that song is the the one thing that's really uh, stayed from that. It might have gotten some international releases, but um, but not officially released in the states. That is one they are not particularly proud of. <laughs> Yeah, I think that one's going to remain in the Disney vault and probably with good reason. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I keep thinking that when we're watching Song for the Soul, which is <laughs> not a great confusion to have. <laughs> but but now I want to hear the girls singing Zippity Doodah. I think that that oh, they probably kill us. in like the Supreme style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I wrote something down because I wanted to make sure that I noted it this time around, and I don't remember why it came up. <laughs> But um, okay. yeah, because I read somewhere that way back when someone woke up from a coma when they heard "Somewhere in the Night" by Scott Bakula. <laughs> that did come yes. up. Yes, <laughs> here we are talking in past tense again. But I think that we were probably discussing the music in the episode, which is a big part of this episode, right? And that was a factoid that you pulled out. I hope that it's true. I want it to be true. I give it as much credence as the B-Man curse, but yeah. we all know where we stand on that now. That's mm. fun. So, <laughs> so who am I to say no? Where did you hear that room? That uh, that rumor? That like? I feel like I was reading an old Quantum Quarterly, and I saw that in there. It was Quantum Quarterly. Yeah. You said, I'm sure that, yeah. that's what I'd been reading recently, and like, uh, I'm not usually reading old fanzines, but I was reading that. Who edited Quantum <laughs> Quarterly? Whose whose magazine was that? Do we know? Shoot, I only I, ask because we should call them out by name and say, um, editor of the Quantum Quarterly, I'm a bad fan. I didn't read any of that kind of stuff. Um, if you're listening, please uh, tell us where you got that interesting fact of the music of Quantum Leap rescuing someone from a coma. They, I mean, they talked to all sorts of people. They had interviews with people. They would uh, transcribe uh, conventions. Uh, they, I'm sure they talked to... Uh, John Aquino, uh, if that's how you pronounce it, I'm sure they talked to him a couple times, and some other people involved with the show. Like they were, they were deep in it back in the day. Well, they were what what we had before we had podcasts. Yeah, I mean that that was the fan community. It was the zines. They were the OG Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we owe them a debt. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to doubt their story. Uh, we're just going to carry it on. Um, 
somewhere in the night uh, awoke someone from a coma because they woke up saying, please turn that off. Uh, For the love of God, I'm they, in a coma. Turn that off. They loved his tones <laughs> and they were like, yes, I learned to love again. <laughs> Just like cigar smoking man. <laughs> Before the car bomb went off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were talking about the music in the episode, I think. What did you guys think of the music? I don't remember where you where you fell on that. I mean, it's Motown. What's not to love about about the music? I mean, I have some some issues with how the music was used in a couple of scenes. Uh, montage, <laughs> montage, oh the, mon- um, <laughs> oh, the montage. <laughs> we love a good montage. Which brings me to my other big point in my notes. I wrote two things down to remember. It was the it was the coma thing, and it was and it was bad scene dissolve. I wanted to make sure bad scene dissolve was in there. Yes. They have the comedy killing scene dissolve right before the montage, okay? <laughs> like Alice talking to Sam yeah. but in in the backstage uh, at the uh, at the church or whatever in the in the room and uh he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to teach you some moves. <laughs> All you have to do is remember and then pauses and that in any uh person who knew how to cut a comedy uh would go to a smash cut. Because he finishes the line afterwards, they're like, eh, mashed potato, do the twist. But he doesn't because he pauses for the scene dissolve. You can see Dean Stockwell kind of like break character and kind of, all right, scene's over, but they're still dissolving out. <laughs> Terrible. Alison, have you ever tried putting together like a fan edit of some of your favourite shows where the only changes you make are adding, <laughs> adding in some, in some smash cuts? <laughs> Because I feel like there's a whole market out there, you know, stuff completely re-editing, adding in deleted scenes, taking out the bits that you think are a bit flabby, just add some smash cuts in, Alison's happy. I'm sure George Lucas would invite you to Skywalker Ranch, you could put in some CGI too. (laughs) Exactly! (laughs) Oh, all those silly wipes that Lucas loves, no, 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 get get rid of the wipes. Wipes can kill a comedy too, for sure, it certainly cheapens it. Yes. Uh, Listen, not if it's a star wipe. Nothing beats a good star wipe. <laughs> <laughs> no. They should have had, like, a monkey wipe on <laughs> Quantum Leap. <laughs> Complete with... <laughs> yeah, they had a sound effect over it and, like, a slight zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and here, I started the show saying I felt like we're more in the groove, and we're now more than ever talking about nothing. So <laughs> yeah, I like that montage, though. Yes. I like that montage. <laughs> like, I love when Al teaches yeah. Sam to dance. That's pretty good. And, um,. I like that they they just got random reactions from Dean Stockwell. They're like, I don't know, kind of like shake your head, do a face palm, like, oh, they're doing bad. Uh." (laughs) And that's everything about that montage just screamed filler. It was just dumb filler TV montage nonsense. Yes, but I still liked it. <laughs> would have been better with Foreigner in it. Mm, uh, Everything mm. would be better with Foreigner. <laughs> I, I kind of like Do You Love Me better than I like Foreigner. I, uh, yeah. Do You Love Me because yeah. um, they don't know what love is yet. Do You Love Me is a little bit more innocent. Although he doesn't know what love is. He wants her to show him. <laughs> oh, tough call, Matt. <laughs> yeah, right? I'd heard that Scott Bakula did not uh, practice the choreography for this episode, at least for those scenes. Like, the, I'm sure Ooh. the one at the end he did, but the ones where he's not supposed to know 
what he's doing. He just didn't, so it would be more realistic. Yeah, and they really played that in the very beginning, you know, the opening scene where he's on stage just completely, you know, (laughs) messing up. Um, I got a real, like, a genuine chuckle out of that. I think uh, Scott can be very physical, but also very subtle. And in this one, it showed more because he was dancing against, you know, two girls who obviously were just like, WTF, this is our routine. And he's doing his best, but he's just stinking on ice. <laughs> and it reminded me of of the scene in, <laughs> which is maybe my favorite scene in all of Quantum Leap, when he was Mr. Scrubbo in Captain Galaxy oh, and yeah. Future Boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At the very, very end of the commercial, he just tosses the box over his I still laugh. I can't help but laugh every time I see it. I just think of it. And this to me was evocative of that because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. So he's really good at adding like small touches to things. Like when he's like bumping into them, like, oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Their expressions were really good too. Their reactions were funny. And it also helps that, you know, he sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, they're maybe five foot six, five foot seven. He's like a big six foot one dude in a dress, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the comedy writes itself. I'm just going to say the pink outfit with the slit, pretty good. Uh, those opera gloves, those were amazing. I'd love to say it gave me some very confusing feelings about Scott Bakula, but we all know how I feel about Scott and it's not confused yeah, at all. We know that you love him. We all love him. Yes. Yeah. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. They really showed off his arms. Though I gotta say, the, I liked the the outfit with the bows on the shoulders, but it was super tight on his arms. Like he was like leaning against the couch talking to um, Linnell, and you could tell it was sewn on so tight. Like there was no give in the fabric. It was like cutting into his arm. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like it hurt. Poor Scott. I think there was a new pair of shoes in this episode. The the green heels. I don't remember seeing them. Yeah, I do recall when I watched the episode saying, this is the most at-home in heels I've ever seen Scott Bakula um, on screen. He just, he seemed like the heels didn't bother him this time. There was none of that, oh, not the heels, not again. <laughs> he practiced. You know, and they must be his own. I think those ones are the most practical looking heels, the green ones. But like, um, yeah, I remember the, the hearing from uh, my best friend, Jean-Pierre Doiliac, that- um, <laughs> <laughs> Clang! Sorry, that was the name. Every drop. time I talk about him, he's my best friend, Jean-Pierre Jorliac. Yeah, he said that the shoes on the show, and I think he said this in the interview with uh, Albie before too, um, the heels were all custom made and they made like a few of them in colors that would uh, that would match with a lot of things. So they had like a neutral color and black ones and red ones, I think were the main three because there's no... 1950s, whatever, like period shoes that fit Scott Bakula. You just couldn't find them. So they had to just make ones that would fit with several things. I got you. So how many, how many shoes met? That's going to be for Beyond the Mirror Image volume three now? What are we talking? <laughs> yeah. I think there's going to have to be a whole separate book just to track the, uh, track the shoes, track the heels, right? <laughs> yes. So, but we're only working with a finite pair, uh, apparently. So, you know, you got that going for you. Well, that's why you see It'll, similar yeah. colors throughout the girl episodes. If you're paying attention to them, um, they got the the bright red ones. Um, there's a the the nude colored shoe, I believe, where there's like brown nude. colors. Say it right. You're on the Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> 
yeah, but the green ones I don't remember seeing before, so those might have been new. Okay, so we've had Allison's fashion wrap early in the episode, but it it is the first time in a few eps that we've seen Scott as a woman. And it, it's weird to me that we say that this one feels like traditional Quantum Leap, in-the-pocket Quantum Leap, because he's a 16-year-old girl. I don't think we've ever seen him in a 16-year-old girl before, yet the themes in this episode feel so familiar to Quantum Leap. Yeah. And the context in which he exists as, as this 16-year-old girl, they could have played it for a lot of that that sort of that fish out of water, like they always do when he's a girl, when he's, when he's a woman. But in this one, it just seems so natural. And I think because the main themes of this episode really were very traditional Quantum Leap themes, especially family. I mean, to me, this this episode screamed family drama, family conflict, a very basic story, and one that we've seen before in Quantum Leap many times. But just like with, with all the best episodes, the performances in this and the chemistry just make it work so well. And, you know, the amazing singing didn't hurt either. But it, it was sort of nice to return to some of those those tried and true Quantum Leap themes. Well, one thing, and I know I, I didn't mention this in the the previous recording, but you, you talk about this being a traditional family drama, and it, in many ways it is. And what I find quite different about this, and what really stood out to me, is this is the first, and I, I want to say maybe only time, that he leaps into a person of colour, or into an area where he's surrounded by people of colour, and I didn't end the episode thinking, I have learnt more about that experience. This was not uh, an episode about that. It, it didn't seem to matter, aside from the the kind of the connection to the music. This was not an episode about race, and that's that's quite rare for them to involve that without actually without going there. That's a really good observation. I never considered that. But you're right. Usually when they have a person of color on screen, the script tends to revolve around some issue dealing with race and um, maybe highlighting some issue dealing with race. And this one was just, they just happened to be black because it fit the time and it fit the story. It was very heavily like... You can tell that uh, that this was written by a person of color and uh, still tied into uh, black culture. I feel like like the way that uh, everyone spoke, the way that they were at the church, um, like it it wasn't about race at all. But you could definitely tell that it was that uh, flavor, if you will. Yeah, and I mean, it, it comes across in so many ways in this episode, and I think what unifies this episode is the singing and it's it's not just the motown music that we hear but it's also the gospel music in the church and um just sort of that the through line in this is Linnell's love of singing and mm. i know that a lot of the um drama is is it, it's it's sort of sketchy a little bit in my opinion we'll talk about that with with the whole thing with the mom and the history and the, and we're not really sure what went on there but in the end i think it was about her expressing herself through her musical talent and whenever she was on camera doing that 
she absolutely shined. Whether it was um, uh, in the contest at the end or the very ending scene where she's singing to her dad, we'll get to that. But even when she's just in church singing the hymns, she just seems to do it with such abandon and such just love. And it was so genuine because she was so good at it that it just took you along. And I think that, you know, having that as sort of the, the connective thread that, that brought all of this drama together is really what is most memorable in this episode, in my opinion. I thought that Tammy Townsend and Harrison Page, who played her father, uh, really carried this episode. Like, it was their story. And by the time you get to the end where she's singing to him. I mean, like, Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell are kind of stepping back, like, all right, this is their moment. And um, it it was so good. Like, I hope that um, that they use that on their, their acting reels, because that was some top-tier acting. Well, Paige got an Emmy nomination for this one. Oh, did he? So, yeah. Well, that's deserved. Yeah, and it's funny, because when you look at the character of Reverend Walters on paper, he seems to be very stereotypical, like the heavy-handed dad, and that sort of that overbearing, overprotective, um, it's something that we see a lot of, especially in like a family drama kind of thing, but for he just, there's a sincerity and a chemistry between him and and Tammy Townsend that it just works. Like you never, he's overbearing, but you never feel like he's a dick. Anyway, I never I felt did. like he was occasionally. When he was going to hit her, I did feel like he was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just saw that. I saw that as more appropriate to the times. Like, like to me, that is that is more realistic to how that scene would have played out in the 1950s. And parents hit their kids. And it was just, I, I don't know that you need to agree with it. I just think it was organic and authentic. But the one thing that confused me is just like all the tension they're having is over the mom and they never really go into what the hell happened with this woman. I mean, she ran away. She took the kid. She didn't take the kid. She was in bed for six months dying, but nobody ever tells you what she died of. It's weird. To me, it sounded like there was something more than they were saying. Um, I mean, they probably just meant like, you know, they said that she was sick and she couldn't handle it and she she ran off and, and whatever, but it seemed like they were talking about mental illness. Um, and I don't know if that's exactly what the intention was, but it very much uh, sounded like something, you know, they just, you wouldn't talk about it back then if that's what that was. But I'm also thinking what mental illness is terminal? Was it mental illness with cancer thrown in? Was it... I I know that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. It's just for an episode like Quantum Leap tends to do spells out a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you would think that they would give you a much clearer indication of exactly what went down with the mom, even though we have Linnell having sort of this false memory of the mom running away and taking her with her and the dad coming back and getting them. Um Turns out that's not true. And okay, that's fine because it actually makes Reverend Walters a more sympathetic character. You can see that Linnell can be irrational. You know why? Because she's a kid. Mm-hmm. And she remembers what she remembers because she's emotionally distraught. But at the same time, why doesn't he express exactly what happened? 
I just don't know how you lie in bed for six months without a diagnosis. That's all. I mean, I think they just explained it because it didn't really matter to the episode. I don't think it was because they were, you know, like, he was hiding something or whatever. I think it's just, you know, it was probably cancer or something like that. Yeah, and, and leaving things to the imagination is usually a sign of good TV. But, as Chris says, it's not usually a sign of normal Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap does spoon feed. And that's that's one of its big failings. Uh, so it is it is really unusual for them to slip into that. But maybe it's just one of those rare moments. Yeah. Now, I mean, we're, we're talking about the father daughter relationship uh, between uh, Reverend Walters and Linnell. But was Scott the most paternal we've ever seen him? I love ever seeing in this Sam acting like a dad. When he's like, they're out in the middle yeah. of the night and he's trying to just like herd them along, like, we shouldn't be out here in the middle of the night. And they're goofing off. <laughs> Those guys come over and try to assault them. And uh, and the girls are just like, oh, look at those karate moves. <laughs> yeah, we're going the wrong way. We live this way. Are you crazy? I think that Buff Turner's child is some kind of supergirl. I like this one. Look, I, 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 I don't know, know what, what happened back there, but I, uh, I, I, look, I do know that girls shouldn't be out at 2 in the morning alone. Now let's go on these streets. Come on. Get going. actually one with a mouth like Paula. Get, get going. I take care of myself. Get go. right? You cut it out. Get going. Get going. Me up. Next right, me up like that. Get going. What am I- <laughs> Let's go in. And so he's trying to, to to dad them, and then once they get inside, the reverend's like giving him a talking to, and so there's that great image of Scott Bakula sitting on a couch <laughs> with these sixteen year old girls <laughs> being scolded for being out late. And I you know, that brought back memories for me because I remember that exact situation unfolding in my teens. <laughs> Mm-hmm. My my friend's mom yelling at like three of us sitting on the couch because we had a party, and she she turns to me like and she I don't ask she's like Chris and Chris I expect you to know better like I'm supposed to be the parent when you're not here what <laughs> you know? but uh, yeah so I mean to me that was like totally organic that scene what yeah. was the deal with Cherie's parents by the way <laughs> the the girl that that Sam leaped into because like. <laughs> the reverend's like, yeah, since your parents aren't home, you'll stay with us. And then they never came back during any point in the episode. So it's like, wait, what? Her pa- her parents just left and didn't care where she went. And <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> I'm going to invoke a phrase I used to use quite frequently on 112263 and on Castle Rock. Because show. <laughs> because because <laughs> it's more complicated. They needed to simplify it. <laughs> They needed Sam there for the drama. Therefore, uh, Cherie's parents weren't around because Sam needed to be in the Walters household. So (laughs) there you go. Just hand wave it away. It's like that scene in Star Trek Insurrection when uh, Picard says to Worf, oh, I thought you were on Deep Space Nine. And Worf starts to explain and then they walk off camera. Dude, that scene was messed up. He's like, where the hell have you been, buddy? Oh, sorry about your wife. But Worf is here because it's a Star Trek next gen movie. (laughs) Anyway, here's a funny puberty storyline for you. That's pretty cool. Huh? (laughs) You're going to get acne in this one, huh, Michael? You're going to love it. (laughs) Sorry about your wife, but you're comic relief. (laughs) Wish I'd stayed on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) Anyway. 
That was them saying, you know what? They they might have talked you up on DS9, but around here you're still Worf. All right? You just react. Don't worry about it. If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. So yeah, just just one other point about the the, the relationship element. Um, when do we get to talk about the fact that the father daughter relationship was based on Deborah Pratt and Donald Belisario's relationship? <laughs> is, is that that's, that's interesting? Creepy, maybe could be a word for that. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I find it creepy, like because yeah controlling and and to know when to let go and when to hang on and being overbearing like you can use those things and maybe she wasn't being that literal with it but it came from very real feelings about what was happening in her marriage at the time yeah exactly can you give us some context on that matt like where where where's that coming from so th- this was from this podcast. Um, so th- this this was from uh, a conversation Deborah had with Albie back in 2014. Hmm. Yeah, she said, uh, at the time I was fighting with my husband about uh, control. Um, some of the fights came out literally word for word. The story is, let me grow up, let me be who I want to be, and just love me for who I am. Wow. So yeah, as as Alison said, I mean you you can you can take those kind of uh, themes and and apply them to different places, but uh, yeah, it certainly gives us quite an insight um, into their marriage, uh, and it was it was good of her to open up about that. Yeah, that's something else, and I think it also maybe um, goes a long way to explaining just the, I, it was just a genuine quality about this episode, a sincerity. That came through, both in the writing and the performances. And it's almost like Scott was there on screen to facilitate this drama playing out. He wasn't a central part of it. It remained completely focused on the reverend and the daughter. Yeah, I don't think there was any like personal stakes in it for either him or Al. That was a little strange. And that's, I think that that just speaks to what a good episode it is, because even though that's that's true, Scott fits in naturally to sort of help the plot along, but you never feel like, oh, well, he's not the focus of this episode. You know, like usually Scott is the focus of the episode, and this one, he's, he's sort of on the sidelines trying to guide, but it, mm. it really is Linnell and Reverend Walter's episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess that comes through because of where it came from in Deborah's life in the, in the writing. It's just like, wow, that is an interesting wrinkle. And I think it, it gives the episode a lot more depth. An already good episode is better for knowing that, in my opinion, even though it, se- it seems a little weird, but not when you put it in context. And, you know, I, no one's here to speak ill of Don or Deborah or, you know, speculate on their relationship. I mean, without it, we wouldn't be here. Considering they they got divorced during the course of the show, I think it's at least public knowledge that, you know, that their marriage was not working at that time. So, yes. So, I mean, I guess from pain comes art and uh, we reap the benefits. So, thank you, Deborah, for being so honest and, you know, being so vulnerable and letting this out. Um, I'm sorry I made fun of dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, this just further proves that Dreams was a fluke. She's usually a very solid writer. (laughs) True. Yes. I wanted to mention, to bring things back to Song for the Soul, (laughs) 
uh, Bobby Lee being played by the villain from Coming to America? Just let your soul go! Just let it shine through! Just let your I remain convinced that these two are the same character, and he—he's—he's he's aged well. He had to change his name because of all the dodgy pedo stuff, and he's—he moves to Queens. They're both sleazy. They look like Eric Lasalle. He's so good at playing this kind of character. I think Coming to America is is a spinoff. We we saw in Coming to America that it was a spinoff of Trading Places. So yes. I'm guessing then Quantum Leap takes place in the Trading Places universe. <laughs> oh my gosh, there was that line I really loved in this episode where Bobby Lee's looking in the mirror. <laughs> And he goes, as, as fine as they come, baby, as fine as they come. Yeah. And Al's behind him. You mean as slime as they come, jerk? Jerk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, seeing Eric LaSalle on this is just, because I, I only know him from coming to America. I know that he had, you know, he's he's had a long career since Quantum Leap, and he was on ER for a million seasons. All and right, yeah. Matt, didn't you... Um, during your con experience, come across some kind of Eric LaSalle memorabilia? Yeah, I went, well, <laughs> not specifically, but yeah, I, I went on the uh, the Warner Brothers studio tour and they still have all of the badges from, from the uh, ER main cast. So, Amazing. Yes. Well, while I was there, after recording this the first time, I sent my wonderful co-hosts a photo of uh, of Eric's name. See, badge. we wouldn't have had that great anecdote if we had uh, kept the first one. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to try and make any assumptions that he's the same character in ER somehow turned good <laughs> and got into a career in medicine. Well, every character he plays is because he's leaped in and he's an evil leaper. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. So it's a Leah, really. <laughs> But yeah, I don't think that you can um, really compare his character in Coming to America, who was just basically an arrogant douche, <laughs> to, as you said before, Matt, this pedophile rapist yeah. that preys yes. on underage girls. I mean, yeah. I mean, we had that amazing scene after that nonsense montage where he just oils his way up into this this. 15-year-old's bedroom. Who does that? Who just is just walking by and then hears these girls singing and is like, let me just wander on up there. Yeah, I mean, because that was a genuine story. He was waiting. He was waiting for the reverend to go out. He was waiting for a time when he knew he could slot himself in without supervision and maybe see what he could get away with. Oof. And it's just like, what a piece of shit. And he really sells it because oh, yeah. he's reprehensible, but at the same time, he's got that charm. He's Eric LaSalle. I mean, he's 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 got a presence yeah. about him. He can, you know, he can really make you sort of like, hee hee hee, you know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just smitten with Eric LaSalle, <laughs> like, like Matt is smitten with Scott Bakula. I don't know. I'm imagining <laughs> someone seeing him and going, hee hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> That was my that was my fifteen year old girl from nineteen fifty three. What? It didn't no? Not authentic? I, I don't know if Eric does any conventions, but if he does, Chris, I'm taking you along to one. <laughs> and I'm just gonna I'm gonna push you in front of like him. A, <laughs> <laughs> well now it's just turning into a creepy laugh. <laughs> I'm your number one fan. <laughs> 
I have to say, I mean, for for as big a piece of shit as he was in this episode, he was amazing. He he was so good. And I think that, um, you know, Bobby Lee may be one of the better villains in Quantum Leap because, yeah, he's somewhat two-dimensional, but we have an actor playing him with as much depth as I think an actor can play him with. And they were lucky to get Eric LaSalle yeah. because otherwise he just would have been a slimeball bad guy. I think with LaSalle and sort of the presence that he has, you can understand why Linnell, even though she's desperate to get out of that house might fall sway to his charm because he is very charming. Yeah. He has that, um, that presence and that charisma that a lot of really great manipulators have, you know, they don't just come off like disgusting douchebags. Like they come off as, as likable and smart and like, they're going to get you somewhere or, you know, like, uh, they really care for you and just you. And he was, he wasn't even being that good about hiding it. You know, he had that dress and he's just like, yeah, it was for some other group (laughs) that I was trying to put together, but it didn't work out. So here you go. This is for you, baby. (laughs) Right. And she was smitten nonetheless. So. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I got to say, um, that jarring transition between him sort of oiling his way and then all of a sudden they're looking around after rehearsal saying, where's Linnell? Where's Linnell? He's back there trying to rape her, basically. Yeah. And this is one thing in the episode that made me say, okay, what the fuck? Because Al pops in, he finds her, and then they use this moment to do like an effect shot where he tries, oh, you stop, stop doing that, and don't do that to her. Why wouldn't he just call Sam immediately, come and rescue this girl? Yeah. Yeah, they were playing it for comedy. Like, he was going in there, and then Al's like, yuck, like he's kissing him yeah. or something. And like, yeah, I don't think that was the right time for that. Like, trying to get between them, and, you know. I, yeah. I, I mean, I sort of get it in the context of the show. Al would maybe want to jump in because he's just as heroic as Sam, and... It just, to me, like he would be smart enough to know, like, wait, I can't prevent this. I am a hologram. Yes. Maybe he should have done that, like, after he tries to go get Sam. Yeah. It just felt, yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel like it tonally appropriate. Right. And it was, yeah, I I don't know if I'd call it a misstep, but it was just very incongruous. And it seemed to deflate some of the drama from a scene that was very dramatic. Yeah, do you you think maybe that was intentional? That they just wanted to take the edge off it a little bit? Hmm. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't know what time slot it was being aired in, but maybe they just felt it was a little bit too much. Maybe because it wasn't like a very special episode kind of thing, so they were trying to like lessen the impact? I guess. But yeah, I don't think it was the right move. Yeah, I mean, I know that we've discussed rape culture a lot on the show, especially since Raped. And while watching this episode, I thought of a lot of the things that we were discussing in that episode. And just once you get to recognize it, how prevalent rape culture is in popular media. And this to me was a prime example of that. So to have them sort of pull back and maybe play it um, ham-fistedly to take an edge off, it just doesn't ring right to a modern sensibility um, or I guess a more enlightened sensibility. That sounds douchey of me to say, but I just think that we're in a completely different place societally now 
than we were then. And it, it renders that scene problematic, even though on the face of it, you know, they do the right thing and they stop Bobby Lee and everybody, you know, is like, get away from this scumbag. It, they just falter in that one moment. I don't think they were excusing it or acting like it it wasn't an assault, but um, I do think, yeah, I mean, it didn't, they undercut it a little bit. So I think like they just made a misstep um, in the tone. I wouldn't necessarily call it a rape culture. I mean, the way he was acting was rape culture for sure, but I don't think like the show playing it that way was necessarily that. That's an interesting discussion, I guess, for fans to maybe chime in on what did you guys think of that scene um you know if you're listening um did that strike you the way it struck us uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on that um one thing i can say is that this episode does go into some pretty dark places not just because of you know the predator pedophile that is the antagonist but there's also um al mentioning his belief in the devil again Glory! All it takes is a good preacher to make you remember that the devil's out there just waiting to get you. Amen. <laughs> well, they did, they played that for comedy straight up. They, they, yeah, they kind of <laughs> did. That was so weird. It, it just, you know, why it stuck out to me so so strongly is because I think two or three episodes ago, Allison, you had mentioned that a fan had really nailed down that when Al believes in the supernatural, it's always about the evil aspects of it. It's always about the devil. It's always about, yeah. and here he yeah. is in this episode. Well, he even straight up says in MIA that there's a devil. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, he's here saying, and that's how we got on the freaking B-Man topic the last time that ruined <laughs> yeah. the first recording. And now I know. Anyway. Alison, check your recording quickly. He almost said it. Oh my it. God. I, it's still recording. <laughs> Let me check uh, mine. Norton's gone. Let me check mine. I have it up and running. I'm looking at it. I'm watching like a hawk. <laughs> I did find that inconsistent that Al was in the church like, yeah, hallelujah. Nothing like a good sermon to remind you the devil's coming to get you. And it's like, okay, but we know from other episodes, like he's not comfortable in churches. Uh, he's not really comfortable with religion. Um, that he believes in the devil. Uh, you know, it, it, it just didn't seem that consistent, though I did like him and... Holy crap, what is going on? Are you okay? <laughs> what, what, is, what just happened? Very loud car behind me. <laughs> I thought it was a portal opening up or something. <laughs> the devil's coming to get me! He's coming to get me! And he didn't let go. He grabbed me and didn't let go. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that interaction between Sam and Al. It was so funny. And, like, and Al's just like, well, what do you mean? Hey, wait, wait, what do you mean? As he's like following him, arguing. Yeah, now, so can we unpack that a little bit? Because what the hell does Sam say there? Like Al says something to the effect of the devil's there waiting to grab you. And under his breath, does Sam say, does he say, and you forgot to let go? Let go. He said he must have grabbed you and forgot to let go or something to that extent. I just, I didn't understand the joke. Uh, he's saying that Al's devilish. I don't know. <laughs> Usually when I say I don't get it, it means, no, I understand the joke. It's just not funny. In this case, I literally do not get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's talking about the devil grabbing someone, and then he said he grabbed Al and forgot to let go. Like, uh, Al's, uh, you know, mischievous. I, I was as confused as Al was in this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it, you know what that reminds me of. There was this, <laughs> there was a scene in um, uh, Good Morning Peoria where they're uh, they got the rock and roll and they're they're holed up in the radio station and Sam's on the roof with Al and he's uh, 
he's like fixing the the antenna or whatever they're using. He's like fixing something up there. And um I was looking uh down at like this big crowd of people <laughs> and uh I don't know what he says to Sam to lead up to this, but Sam's like, ah, you got some horde repellent? And he kind of laughs at his own joke. And then Al's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that was like the beginning and the end of the (laughs) interaction. (laughs) What? (laughs) So not every joke sticks to landing on Quantum Leap is what we're hearing. I think it was supposed to not work. I just, (laughs) I was thinking the same as Al, like, what? (laughs) What just happened? (laughs) <laughs> well, aside aside from that 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 screwball exchange, um, this is when the character of Linnell really came alive to me because it, it's funny that Sam was so paternal, like we were talking about earlier in the episode, um, shepherding them home. But to me, they looked like they were in their twenties. Like why? But in this scene, Linnell looked like she was fifteen. And maybe it's only because she didn't have, like, the Supremes get up the wig and, like, the makeup and the jewelry. She just looked so young and innocent here. And this is when I was just like, oh, my God, this 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 actress is amazing. And, and apparently Tammy Townsend did all the singing for this episode. I tried to look it up. I didn't find any real corroborating evidence officially. But seeing her Facebook page, people have complimented her on her performance here and she says thank you so i think that anyone else if anyone else had been singing she would have said oh that was the amazing talent of so-and-so and i was just dubbing apparently from what i can tell this was her performing in this episode and she just no matter when she does it she just knocked it out of the park they ever dubbed someone else with someone else's singing i could be wrong on that one but i think like if especially for this like if if you're hiring someone for this role for this episode you want to make sure that it's someone that can sing and to me it's like de rigueur for tv to have a character sing but you know have an actual singer hired to dub in the singing it's just like when Mm. a character has to play the piano and then they just go to a close-up of hands on the keyboard (laughs) you know you know the actor's not yeah but there's they're spoiled with scott bakula who can do everything that's true that's true so they're like we got to get some people that can keep up with them sure Sure. Otherwise, they're going to look like a real fool. <laughs> Can you imagine if they dubbed over Dean Stockwell during, like, the ABC rap? <laughs> <laughs> Only in my most fervent dreams. He's, all of a sudden, it's really operatic or something. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just got Scott to do it. Oh, my God. If it was just Scott Bakula <laughs> trying to do a Dean Stockwell impression. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that in ABC rap in the same line, but hey, to each his own. <laughs> ABC rap is so good, but not as good as Somewhere in the Night because that woke up someone from a coma. <laughs> True. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> Do you think like the ABC rap woke people up from comas too? For the reason you thought with the other one, they're like, oh no, please. Just turn it off. <laughs> turn it off. No, I'm not a gangsta fool. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to party yeah. hardy. <laughs> but yeah, this episode was good. I liked uh, I liked the characters in it. I felt they they came off very rounded. Uh, the la- the girl who played uh, Paula, I thought was very good. Yeah, she's um, gone on to have an amazing career too. That's um, I don't know how to say her name. Takea Crystal Kamea, Kima Kama. She played Raven's mom on that show, Raven. Oh my god, that is so Raven. <laughs> And I only know that because I had a crush on Annalisa Vanderpoel, and I still do. So I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> and yeah. I was, you know, 40 when I had that crush. So. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to Google her. Well, the, this the, she, A line that she had was another thing that, like, threw off the tone of the, the assault scene. Like, when Sam comes in and throws the guy off, throws Bobby Lee off of her, and then you hear Paula just go like, damn. Damn. <laughs> I just didn't think it was the right tone. Well, then you're going, you're going back to um, Sam shining through and not acting as the leapy would, and I think that's more what they're commenting on. I just felt like they were going for a comedy damn, not you know. Yeah, yeah, a comedy damn because she can take this relatively big guy, just like their fifteen, sixteen year old friend can give a flying noodle kick to these thugs <laughs> in the street at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> there was a, an upskirt shot when he does the noodle <laughs> kick. By the way, oh, I'll have to watch that on freeze frame. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, overall though, I did like her d- deliveries in this episode, like when they're doing the dance, and she's like, "You dance like a white." Yeah. Girl. Or you move like a white girl. <laughs> and I really think that um, it was her performance and Tammy Townsend's performance um, that really sort of helped the aspect of this show where Scott had to be part of a group of 15-year-old friends. And the way that they just looked at each other and sort of like the body language around each other, it just felt like they were friends that had known each other for a long time. Um, with just some of the asides, just some of the smirks. And um, I like the way they were able to work that in. I especially like the scene in the bedroom. Uh, didn't even have Scott in it at all. It was Paula and Linnell. Mm-hmm. And Paula was just like, why are you doing this? You know, we can we we can find somebody else besides Bobby Lee. And she just says it straight out. Why are you doing this? Play stupid with me, girl. You're gonna give it up to that creep so you can sing tonight. I'm not gonna give up nothing. I'm gonna apologize so that we can sing. Don't use me for an excuse. If you wanna lay down with that old man, do it because you want to, not for me and Cherie. To me, that's very powerful stuff and something a friend would say to a friend. And I like that they included it just with two of the, you know, ancillary characters. It wasn't something that involved Sam coming in to save the day. And speaking of Sam not saving the day, um, this sort of breaks Quantum Leap a little bit because you have um, Linnell going off to do the contest and the father at the very last minute just saying to her, listen, you do, you go out, you you win. And even though he kind of skulks out at that point like he's lost her, her entire demeanor changes. The second that he shows his support, she becomes like strong confident she basically tells bobby lee to go fuck himself she's like i'm not winning this for you i'm winning this for me and you know usually at the end of an episode we have al on the hand like bop, 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 uh, sam and they do this and she has a singing career and they stay together and his church thrives and the only thing we have at the end of this is her coming back to the church and singing that amazing song to him 
And just thinking about it now, I'm choking up because I can't watch it without crying. It's so beautiful. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And there's no denouement from Sam and Al about what happens to them because it's apparent with their reconciliation. And it was just a perfect moment to end the episode on. And I guess what they just have Scott look at Dean and, and then he leaps. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it was really mm. their moment. And you can tell that those are real tears. You can tell when people are, are acting like when it's real. Um, it was so good and it was so intimate. Right. And um, you could tell that this was like a, a really big moment for these actors because you don't get a lot of scenes like this. No. And just absolutely amazing. Amazing on both their parts. And seeing that scene, I can understand why Harrison Page was nominated for an Emmy for this one. Well, I guess what it was a Best Supporting Actor, Matt? The research that I'd done suggested it was Best Lead Actor. Hmm. I mean, I guess for the episode, he would be a guest lead or something. Yeah. I I checked a couple of places, including like the official Emmy website, whatever it is, uh, and it, it didn't make any sense to me, but it was corroborated. I mean, it was no Dean Stockwell in Dreams, <laughs> but... <no. laughs> whatever it was, it, it, it was well-earned. I'm making it seem like he was bad in the episode. He wasn't. I just don't understand yeah. the nomination. There was... So many great episodes that, that he's done. I feel like um, it's like maybe they feel like they overlooked him. For, uh, now we're talking about Dean. Oh, yeah. Maybe they feel like they overlooked him for too long, so they needed to nominate him for something. <laughs> it felt like a makeup thing, a, a, a makeup Emmy. <laughs> yeah, it's almost it's almost like, like Peter Jackson only getting nominated for Return of the King for Best Picture. Even though the entire trilogy was amazing, they realized, okay, this is the last chance we have to nominate this guy. I feel like maybe that was the same mm. thing with Dean in this. They just needed some. But they have 23 episodes. Why would they pick dreams? Yeah. <laughs> it always goes back to dreams. We have to get off of dreams for the love of God, time, fate, or whatever. You're not supposed to be nominated for dreams. <laughs> Next episode, we have to make a promise not to mention that word. That one. We have the D word. Now the B word and the D word. Uh, we're going on another tangent again. Should we should we start wrapping this up with our final thoughts? <laughs> That's a good idea, Alison. Yeah. Um. All right. Here's my final okay, thoughts. Go for it. <laughs> uh. Yeah. It's a comfortable episode. It had a lot of overarching themes that um Quantum Leap's very good at. Uh. I felt like they had a, a solid supporting cast. Uh. The Emmy nominations were deserved. Uh. It's good stuff. What about you, Matt? 
yeah, same here. Good solid episode of Quantum Leap. Doesn't take too many risks. Uh, but what a yeah, what a great cast. Um, all of them are such a good cast. Yeah, usually there's one or two standout ones, but uh, really the whole ensemble here is is fantastic. And I'm going to mirror what both of you said. I think that this is just it, it's like perfect quantum leap, and um, I think even more so because of the way the ending just sticks the landing on the episode. It's just an amazing ending to. What is a, a a decent episode, and uh, you know, weird comedy montage notwithstanding, um, I would recommend this to a first time viewer of Quantum Leap as something to to sort of gauge the series by. If you like this episode, then you'll like the show. I think so. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that A Song for the Soul is a nice return to form, especially after some of the more dicey stuff we've been dealing with in, in season four to this point. <laughs> and if you want to tell us what you think about A Song for the Soul, you can contact us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can get us by email at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. So um, I know that we're ending on a high note with this one. And I know that we were talking about some dicey stuff that has transpired in season four thus far, which is Maybe not how I want to lead into what's next, Matt. What's coming up? Oh well, now I'm looking forward to next week's discussion. Uh, the next, the next episode is the spooky ghost <laughs> ship. Ooh. That was part of why what happened last time we had a double whammy. Yeah, we had the Bermuda Triangle and the the B word. Are we not yeah. allowed to say ghost ship now? Is that a thing? Well, we'll see. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know about the Bermuda Triangle curse? I know about the Bermuda Triangle. I did a I did a hold the flip side about the Bermuda Triangle after I went through the Bermuda Triangle. And I'll... oh my gosh, uh-huh. how do we know we've really been talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> Christopher de Philippus died in 1943. <laughs> one of those ships. <laughs> all right, all right. But Chris right. wasn't one of the survivors. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not ruin the episode for those that might be watching it for the first time. All those Tales of the Gold Monkey fans super excited about oh, uh, this yeah. ship. <laughs> so anything that Don does with uh, with airplanes in it now is going <laughs> to just evoke Tales of the Gold Monkey because because airplanes, I guess it's a crossover. It's it, legit it's, a crossover. It is absolutely a crossover. Is it really? They're in the right. same universe. All right, we got. Okay, we'll so, talk about that more next so time. So now we realize that Quantum Leap is in the same universe as Tales of the Gold Monkey is in the same universe as Trading Places and Coming to America, which is of course in the Tommy verse. Uh, yes, <laughs> everything's in the Tommy verse. The Tommy Westfall verse, not the Tommy Thompson verse. Yeah, <laughs> just so yeah. we know. No, I mean both. Uh, really. Yeah, really, the Tommy Thompson verse is in the Tommy Westfall verse. So, uh, do we have evidence that Tommy Thompson is not Tommy Westfall? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
<laughs> You're up to something. How many snow gloves does he have? And if you guys don't know what the hell we're talking about, watch that elsewhere. It's worth it. It's a great show. So, so that should keep you busy until the next episode of the podcast. But I would also urge you, until we speak again, keep your harmonies tight. I've been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Are you guys recording? Yeah, are you are you recording, Allison? Yeah. I am now. Good. Um, is your Norton antivirus unhinged? <laughs> it is uninstalled. It is gone. <laughs> I've had nothing but problems with it. Um, I never wanted it anyway. My yeah. dad installed it because um, he thinks that I should have it, but um, I, it's uninstalled. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the main character is Uncle Remus. Yeah. Because I, I don't think I've ever seen I might have seen it on, like, you know, Wonderful World, World of Disney when I was a kid, but I don't have any real memory of it. Was it the 50s when it was released? I want to say it was more recent than that. I'm going to look it up. I hear someone typing. Uh, you know what? It was probably the 50s or the 60s because Snow White didn't come out until like 53. Oh, it was 1946. All right. Wait a it second. Was earlier. When did Snow White come out? Type that. Go ahead. It, it was up. the 30s, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Snow, no, White Snow White was, was 1937. Oh, I always thought Snow White was the 50s. Anyway, I just remember Snow White being their first full-length animated feature. That wasn't the 50s. So I was <laughs> I thought it was the 50s. It was Sorry. 1937. I said 1937, and you're like, it's the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the 50s. And here's the thing. I have total ignorance of Song for the South, a fact of which I'm proud, okay? <laughs> Where do we go from here? All right. I don't know. I've just been Googling Annalise van der Poel. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> She's a redhead. I, I've, I'm off on a tangent at the moment. That's okay. But I'm back. Anyway, I'll send you some nice pics, Matt. Just Google Annalisa Vanderpoel orange dress. Oh, I, I think I may have found that yeah. anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs>
constant friend is he. The sparrow, and I know he watches, he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. Me. I love you, Daddy. 